48K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines. Taiwan says it will open its borders to Hong Kong people who fear persecution under the new national security law. A Beijing official suggests the chief executive will screen out foreign judges from handling national security cases. And Security Chief John Lee neither confirms nor denies a report that people arrested under the new law could be held indefinitely without charge. Taiwan says it will lift its strict coronavirus border controls from Monday to allow in Hong Kongers who fear persecution under the new security law. Cecil Wong has the story. Taiwan's borders have largely been closed since mid-March as it attempts to keep the coronavirus out. But the island's Central Epidemic Command Center says that from Monday, Hong Kong people will be allowed to apply to enter on humanitarian grounds. Anyone wishing to take up the opportunity will have to test negative for the coronavirus and will also have to spend two weeks in quarantine on arrival. The easing of restrictions comes as the Taipei government sets up a new office to help Hong Kong people who want to leave as Beijing implements its new national security legislation. The office will open next Wednesday, the sensitive date of July the 1st, marking the anniversary of the 1997 handover. Beijing has strongly condemned Taiwan for offering to help people leave Hong Kong. A senior mainland official has indicated that foreign judges will not be allowed to handle national security trials in future, even though the chief executive, Carrie Lam, had said just yesterday that there will not be a nationality restriction on judges assigned to such cases. Under the proposed law, the CE will have the power to appoint judges to oversee all national security trials. Maggie Ho has the story. In an opinion piece in the Mainpao newspaper, Zhang Yong, the deputy head of the Commission for Legislative Affairs of the NPC Standing Committee, dismisses criticism that the CE's involvement in appointing judges to cases will undermine judicial independence. He says many people believe judges holding more than one passport should not be allowed to handle national security cases so as to avoid the problem of so-called double allegiance. Mr. Zhang says he doesn't believe there is anywhere in the world where foreign judges can preside over cases concerning threats to national security. He also says not a single soldier from Hong Kong's law enforcement agencies is tasked with protecting national security at present. He says the authorities can't allow this legal vacuum to continue as radical separatists and calls for Hong Kong independence are gaining popularity, at the same time as people's national identity is weakening. Mr. Zhang says the central government could just have imposed the relevant mainland law directly on Hong Kong, but instead it chose to go through the current legislative process to maintain and perfect one country, two systems. The legal sector lawmaker Dennis Kwok says a judge's nationality has nothing to do with whether they can discharge their duties properly or not, since they have all pledged to uphold the basic law. But he says this isn't his main concern with the arrangements being drawn up. The underlying problem is not whether the CE would pick a so-called foreign judge. The underlying problem is that this decision should not be left to her alone to make. In accordance with our usual way of appointing and recommending judges, it is always done by the Chief Justice or by the Judicial Officers Recruitment Commission, and that recommendation is then tabled before the Chief Executive for her to appoint. And that is the way it's done for many, many different tribunals and special judges. The Security Secretary, John Lee, either wouldn't or couldn't say today whether suspects arrested under Hong Kong's looming national security law could be detained indefinitely without being charged.
As Priscilla Ng reports, he also failed to confirm or deny a media report which said special detention centres will be set up to hold suspects. With Beijing widely expected to implement the new legislation in Hong Kong in less than a week, the security secretary was asked about a newspaper report that authorities will establish special holding centers to detain suspects and for as long as they see fit. This was his answer. As to how we will carry out those functions and responsibilities, we will have to wait for the details of the provisions. The security chief said all enforcement work relating to the new legislation will be conducted in accordance with existing law with human rights safeguards in place. The Law Society has raised concerns that the national security law could affect fundamental rights of people here. In a statement, it said there's no need for clarification over plans for local authorities to hand some national security trials to the mainland in exceptional circumstances. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past eleven. The head of Hong Kong's Catholic Church, Cardinal John Tong, says he doesn't think the imminent national security law will damage religious freedom in the SAR. He's told the diocese's weekly newspaper that it's understandable for Beijing to bring in the legislation, but the authorities should address people's concerns about it. Cardinal Tong says he believes churches will still be able to comment on social issues and the Catholics' ties to the Vatican won't be considered collusion with a foreign force. A district councillor, his assistant and a prison inmate have been arrested on suspicion of smuggling a single face mask out of the Lycheecock Reception Centre. Candice Wong has more. The trio are accused of breaching a law that prohibits anyone from taking unauthorised articles from a prison which carries a prison sentence of up to three years. Police say the councillor, who is 24 years old, was meeting the inmate as part of his official duties for the first time. The 39-year-old prisoner is said to have handed over the mask inside a bag to the councillor, who allegedly then tried to leave with it. Police say they are still looking into possible motives but noted that some people had raised concerns over the quality of masks given to inmates. A former police officer has been jailed for six weeks for conning three of his colleagues out of more than $55,000. Jimmy Choi reports. 50-year-old Lam Chung Man pleaded guilty to three counts of fraud at the West Kalu Magistracy. The court heard that in May 2018, the senior constable told three colleagues in the Shamshaipo division that he needed loans to pay for his mother's medical care on the mainland. Between them, Lam's colleagues made five transfers into his bank account. But the court heard that Lam's mother had not left Hong Kong since 2009, and he confessed to ICAC investigators that she had never received any medical treatment on the mainland. Delivering his sentence, Principal Magistrate Peter Law said Lam had abused his colleagues' trust and brought the police into disrepute. Senior counsel Martin Lee has told the High Court that police have behaved in a rotten way by refusing to display their identification numbers while dealing with anti-government protests. He made the comments as the court began hearing a judicial review application on the matter. Damon Pang reports. Representing two of the several people behind the judicial review, Mr. Lee told the court that it was unprecedented of the police not to produce any documents explaining the move for officers to stop showing their unique ID numbers at protests. He said the force is failing the court by not abiding by its duty of candor. 
Mr Lee quoted Secretary for Security John Lee as telling lawmakers in June last year that the design of new uniforms meant there was nowhere for police to display the numbers. But he noted that even women wearing bikinis in beauty contests managed to find somewhere to pin a number. Another senior counsel, Hector Pun, said three of his clients were subjected to police brutality last year. But none of them could file a police complaint or launch a private prosecution because they could not identify the officers involved. He said the police's use of a call sign to replace the unique ID was not effective, seeing news reports noted that several officers have been seen wearing exactly the same call sign at the same time. Both Mr Lee and Mr Bun argued that the police's refusal to display their ID numbers is unconstitutional and breaches the Bill of Rights. The government's lawyer, Victor Dawes, disagreed, saying the only issue at stake here is the legality of the force's policy on the displaying of ID numbers. The hearing continues. The English Schools Foundation has promised to take an unflinching look at what it calls deeply troubling allegations of rampant racism and sexual misconduct among teachers at King George V School. Priscilla Ung reports. More than 1,400 people have signed an online petition calling for immediate reforms at KG5. The action was initiated by a person who says she graduated from the school this year. She says the belittlement of the Hong Kong and non-white culture, such as comments on how some foods smell and the mockery of Asian languages and names, were prevalent on campus. She said teachers have made it a habit to mispronounce, misspell and make fun of the names of Asian students. This casual racism, she says, has also filtered down to the student body and some teachers just turn a blind eye to racist, sexist and queerphobic comments and behavior on campus. The writer also slammed what she said was the sexualization of students on campus, with teachers purposefully looking up their skorts, shorts with a skirt-like front, to check if they complied with the school's uniform rules. Some of those who signed the online petition echoed her criticism. One writer, identifying herself as a former KG5 teacher, Nina Gad, wrote, This resonates so deeply with my experience here. I voiced my concerns. I wrote my concerns down. They were ignored. Another comment, which apparently came from an alumni, said, I too have been through the ESF system and have personally witnessed forms of racism, name-calling and intimidation from teachers way back in the day. Sad to hear it still happens. But some disagreed and accused the writer of ruining the KG5 brand and affecting every graduating student and their job opportunities in the future. In response to the allegations, KG5's principal, Mark Blackshaw, said what he has heard over the past few days is deeply concerning and pledged that immediate action will be taken without elaborating. The school's governing body, the English Schools Foundation, also called the allegations deeply troubling. In a letter sent to all parents, its CEO, Belinda Greer, said that ESF will develop action plans over the summer to strengthen diversity and equality procedures and ensure that the practices experienced by every student meet their standards. We must listen when we hear the experiences that have been shared with us by some of our students in the past few days, she wrote. Perceptions are real and we cannot afford to dismiss them or to be defensive in any way. Ms. Scria also said, we must never shy away from looking critically at ourselves or from realizing that we can and must always strive to do better for our students and their families. 
The government says it's going to ask the Housing Authority to consider a two-month rent waiver for public housing tenants to offset upcoming rent increases of 9.66%. The rents are reviewed every two years, with any rises capped at 10%. The DAB lawmaker Horace Young, who's a member of the authority, says the waivers are a good idea, but the way rent increases are worked out should also be changed. We raise the concern that actually the rent reveal mechanism should be uh, revealed. Uh, because of the short span, because of the uh, large uh, ceiling, 10% ceiling. Uh, we think that actually this mechanism, uh, mechanism should be revealed after 10 years in place. Health authorities confirmed two more imported cases of COVID-19 today. Both of them returned to Hong Kong yesterday from the Philippines. It brings the total number of confirmed infections in Hong Kong to 1179. Overseas, North Korea says it suspended unspecified plans for military action against the South after taking what it called the prevailing situation into consideration. Here's the BBC's Laura Bicker in Seoul. Last week, Kim Jong-un's sister, Kim Yo-jong, warned that she'd given the North Korean army instructions to take action against South Korea. Since then, Pyongyang has redeployed its soldiers to previously demilitarised border areas and blown up an inter-Korean liaison office in the border town of Kaesong. The North Korean army had said in state media that it was going to put forward its plan to the Central Military Commission. Kim Jong-un was in charge of the meeting and has decided to suspend plans for military action against the South. The Singapore Prime Minister's brother, Lee Shen Yang, has joined an opposition party competing against his sibling in next month's general election. The BBC's Michael Bristow reports. Lee Shen Yang has become a member of the opposition Progressive Singapore Party. Although he's not said whether he'll stand as a candidate, his new political friends are unlikely to take office. His brother's party has never been out of power. The siblings are involved in a long-running and very public row over the home of their late father, Lee Kuan Yew, who helped found the city-state. Lee Hsien Yang said his father wanted the house to be demolished. He says his brother is blocking the move to capitalise on his father's legacy, a claim the Prime Minister denies. The number of people who have died of COVID-19 in Latin America and the Caribbean has surpassed 100,000. More than half of the deaths occurred in Brazil, where President Jair Bolsonaro has downplayed the severity of the disease. Tabata Amaral, a lawmaker for the Democratic Labour Party in Sao Paulo, criticised the president's response. Now and then, Bolsonaro goes and says that this is a small crisis, this is a mild cold, that people shouldn't worry about it. And I think he's trying so hard to hide the numbers because this is one of the few things that make him lose uh, support being chewy, uh, among the people who support him the most. Because people are starting to see his action during the pandemic as, being, as not being very human. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Taiwan says it will open its borders to Hong Kong people fearing persecution, and a Beijing official suggests the chief executive will screen out foreign judges from handling national security cases. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. The Democratic Party legislator James Toe has lashed out at what he calls the secret consultations held by mainland officials yesterday on the national security law. But DAB rival Horace Chung says Beijing is just trying to be as transparent as possible. Maggie Ho reports. 
12 closed-door consultation sessions were held at the liaison office and were only announced afterwards. According to a statement released on liaison office's website, a total of 120 people attended the sessions. They included politicians and representatives from the legal, business, financial, education, technology, cultural, religious, youth and labor sectors. CCTV aired a report showing footage of a session attended, among others, by a Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office Deputy Director Zhang Xiaoming and Liaison Office Head Luo Huining. The CCTV report said all of those who attended the meetings voiced support for the national security legislation and said they hoped it will come into effect as soon as possible. Democratic Party lawmaker James Toe says such secret consultations go against the principle of an open government. Secret consultation is basically against the concept of open government and the so-called communist slogan of trusting people. Well, now a secret consultation to a hand-picked, selected pro-communist so-called society leaders just they want to write a report of unanimous support as a conclusion. They don't want to listen to the true voice of people. The, this is a secret meeting even exclude the elected representative of pandemocrats legislators because they don't want to listen to the opposition voice. But DAB lawmaker and executive councillor Horace Zheng says he believes the central government is doing its best to be transparent. They will try to give us uh, as much information as they can, and that's why they give a brief to us after the meeting. Uh, certainly we, we would urge the liaison office can engage as many people as they can, and certainly um, the meetings in the liaison uh, office is one of the ways for public engagement, and certainly I, I'm sure that they they have listened to different opinions through different channels. A local deputy to the NPC, Ma Fung Kwok, had earlier urged people to write letters to the Congress if they want to give their views on the upcoming law. The Council on Smoking and Health says it's worried that more people will take up smoking now that a LegCo bill banning e-cigarettes has been dropped. The city's smoking rate now stands at 10.5%, up slightly from 2017. A member of the council and the chairman of the Committee on Homeschool Cooperation, Henry Tong, told Jim Gould more young people are picking up the habit of using e-cigarettes. From our studies, uh, there has been a steady increase of uh, secondary school students and even primary school uh, students who, who have occasionally used or regularly used uh, uh, alternative for smoking products. That is a very concerning to parents and also to the council. And what is the appeal of alternative smoking products to them? Well, uh, uh, the alternative smoking products position themselves not as uh, traditional cigarettes, but position themselves as fashionable, trendy, and the, the style and the, and, the, and, the, and the aesthetic of uh, alternative smoking products, they are like electronic products, like a UBS or like a, uh, uh, like a power bank. And uh, it is uh, very difficult for uh, parents or teachers to know uh, students who are using the alternative uh, smoking products because they, they look very trendy and they, they don't look like cigarettes. So is there adequate education to uh, make, make a difference to try to discourage young people from using these products? Well, I think uh, definitely yeah, we need more education. Uh, we could do better in uh, both schools and also in parents' education uh, to educate them about uh, what are electronic cigarettes and did not burn cigarettes and, and the harmful effects. Because uh, the, uh, uh, the tobacco company or some people in the society, they try to uh, give an image uh, that uh, these alternative smoking products are less harmful, which 
is not true. Uh, they are as harmful, if not more harmful than traditional cigarettes. Uh, some legislators have said these products should be regulated rather than banned. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I think uh, if uh, these products are regulated but not banned, it sends a wrong message to young people and to the public that uh, these products are legalized. And it is okay to, uh, to buy and to use uh, legalized uh, products, which is, uh, we think is a very uh, wrong message. Uh, we believe that uh, the uh, these products, they are harmful uh, to not just young people, but their parents and, and the general uh, public. And they should be banned uh, from the beginning rather than uh, being regulated. Now, it may be some time before the bill can be resubmitted into LegCo. Certainly, it won't be until the next uh, LegCo is formed. But what do you think should be done in the meantime to discourage smoking among young people? I, I think uh, the government and, and, their, and their schools too, uh, they should uh, increase the efforts of, for education for young people for the harmful effects of uh, alternative smoking products. Particularly now, uh, in, in the midst of uh, epidemic, uh, uh, there could be more education on how, uh, how the uh, alternative smoking products actually uh, would, uh, would make the situation worse for persons, unfortunately, uh, who, uh, who has caught uh, TB. Uh, 19, and also uh, and another way that we could do better is in uh, is education in social media. Uh, we can uh, increase the effort uh, uh, for uh, 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 education uh, for these harmful products in the social media that the young people like to watch. North Korea says it suspended unspecified plans for military action against the South after taking what it called the prevailing situation into consideration. Anna-Marie Evans asked our correspondent in Seoul, Frank Smith, what prompted the latest move by Pyongyang? That's a really tough question to answer. There had been reports that North Korea was under increased surveillance um, with uh, spy plane overflights uh, being more frequently um, done. But I think this is, uh, you know, perhaps just a a climb down in response to the effectiveness of their recent complaints. You had uh, the South Korean government respond quite quickly to uh, Kim Yo-jong's criticism of South Korea enabling uh, NGOs here in the South, led by North Korean defectors, to fly leaflets over North Korea. And uh, they are in the process of even uh, developing a law at South Korea's National Assembly to prevent, again, the flying of leaflets by balloons critical of the North Korean government across the border into the North, something that has gone on despite the 2018 agreement military pact between North Korea and South Korea that would bond ban this type of cross-border propaganda. For example, the um, loudspeakers, massive loudspeakers that both sides had set up across the border were dismantled. In addition to uh, North Korea's comments that we heard through their media today, they uh, have moved to take down loudspeakers that they had put up just a few days ago. So this is a multi-sort of faceted um, reduction in North Korea's military posturing.
Indeed, but uh, the sister became increasingly involved, so Kim Jong-un's sister, um, and that involved also the blowing up of the liaison office. So what does that mean in terms of cross-border trade now? Because, I mean, we also have had um, the Kaesong um, facility, which was good for employment in North Korea and provided them with much-needed money. So will any of that look as if it's going to be up and running anytime soon? No, I don't think so. We have a long way to go in terms of diplomacy here on the Korean Peninsula to get uh, the you know previous inter-Korean projects up and up and running. Whether it's the Kaesong Industrial Complex that you mentioned or Mount Gunglang Tourism over on the East Coast, um, it's going to take some time to do that. But by putting uh, Kim Yo Jung forward in terms of criticizing South Korea and sort of leading the you know vehement rhetoric against the Moon Jae-in administration. Experts here in South Korea have suggested that Kim Jong-un has left some room for diplomacy to take effect, his own diplomacy to take effect. So we could see a, a turnaround in terms of relations between South Korea and North Korea, and especially between North Korea and the United States. After all, the primary issue uh, that North Korea is you know, uh, trying to tackle here. Maybe it's poking South Korea away, but really it's looking at the United States, which, you know, is backing the United Nations Security Council sanctions against North Korea that prevent North Korea from engaging in the international community, from being uh, a normal country and uh, enjoying trade and economic relations with the international community because of its pursuit of uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, the U.S. wants to see denuclearization before uh, any United Nations Security Council sanctions relief, and in 2019, we had the last Kim Jong-un, uh, uh, Donald Trump summit in Vietnam that really came crashing down. And so with the coronavirus also having an effect in the North, um, certainly they want to see some, some reduction in sanctions and, and get some you know, more robust economic activity. Back in the 1960s, China entered one of the bloodiest eras of its history as Chairman Mao launched a decade-long campaign to reassert his control over the country's government. Thousands of photographs showing what really happened during the Cultural Revolution, launched in 1966, were shot by a Chinese photojournalist, Li Zhengsheng, who has died in the US. He was 79. In his final message to friends, Mr Li said he'd spent his life striving to document history. Here's the BBC's Michael Bristow. Li Zhengsheng worked for a city newspaper in the Cultural Revolution. This is a period of great political turmoil between 1966 and 1976. And what Li Zhengsheng did was just document everything which went on for his newspaper. Although he kept two types of photographs, he kept the kind of photographs which were, he called useful, the ones which could be put in the newspaper, the ones which showed off the authorities in a good light, and the not useful ones, as he referred to them, ones which showed the negative aspects of the Cultural Revolution. Now, with these photographs, he hid them under the floorboards of his house until the late 1980s. And then eventually they emerged and they were published uh, just over a decade later outside China in the form of the book. And they, they were astonishing photos and really they're the, the broadest documentation of the Cultural Revolution that we have really.
And at the beginning, they reflected the uh, enthusiasm of, of people, people smiling, gathering in mass groups. Later along, it documented the violence, the destruction, the destruction of temples, the burning of scriptures, of statues, and also the killing of people, sometimes in horrendous circumstances. Also, the very peculiar and unique facets of the Cultural Revolution in which senior officials were humiliated in front of vast crowds of people. In one series of photographs, Li Zhengsheng documented the former governor of Heilongjiang, the province where he was working. He had to uh, had to dunce his cap on his head. He had to bend over, stand on a chair. He had his hair hacked off. Really disturbing photographs of a very, very tumultuous time in China's history. Now for something a bit different. Astronomers say they've come across a cosmic object they can't identify. It appears to be brand new and maybe something previously thought impossible, something called a black neutron star. Professor Sheila Rowan, director of the University of Glasgow's Institute for Gravitational Research, explains. We've been using our gravitational wave detectors to pick up once again the vibrations of the universe, the signals that are coming in. And on 14th August last year, a signal came in that was once again a bit different from what we'd seen before. The wobbles of our detectors, the, the vibrations of space-time, were of a form that suggested we'd picked up two objects out there in the universe spiralling round one another, one of which was about nine times bigger than the other, nine times more massive than the other. One of those objects, we believe, was a black hole about 20-odd times the mass of our own sun, about 23 times the mass of our sun, a big black hole. Um, and its companion had a, a mass that was a bit curious, about 2.6 or so times the mass of our own sun. And it wasn't clear um, from looking at the signal whether that was another black hole or whether it was another kind of object called a neutron star. And both of those um, neutron stars or, or black holes are the endpoints of stars. Stars run out of fuel at the end of their life and they can either form a black hole, they collapse down into a region of space where gravity is so strong that nothing can escape. Or, if they're not quite massive enough, they can stop the collapse just before they, they get to to the black hole point and form another strange object called a neutron star. And this, one of those objects in our companion sort of um, binary star system out there wasn't clear if it was a neutron star or a black hole. And that's the first time um, we've detected a, a sort of pair of objects out in the cosmos um, with gravitational wave signals that looked like this. Those stories were part of the NewsRap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Steve Danton from our newsroom. To prevent the spread of COVID-19, try flexible working hours and staggered meal breaks. Wear a mask on public transport. Avoid crowded lifts. Try not to hold large meetings and reduce face-to-face -face contact with colleagues. Avoid meal gatherings. Stay away from crowds after work. Wash hands frequently and keep the workplace clean. If you feel unwell, stay away from work and see your doctor. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to read.
Well, this is it. This is Music Nostalgia with uh, Ray Codero all the way until 1 a.m. Mantovani. Mantovani and his orchestra, Green Sleeves, introducing nostalgia for tonight. 